No, I didn't. Have any of you ever tried to make a copy of something? I have. Most people. How easy is it to actually make an exact copy of something? I think it could be actually rather difficult, even if you have a scanner. Because the minute you start scanning, and say you take a copy of the one that came out the side, not the original one, and you keep copying something over and over, it starts to get a little bit distorted. It doesn't look quite the same. Making a copy, it's really hard to do it, even by hand. You know, people attempt to make copies of things all the time. Copies of paintings, right? We call them prints. Something that is made to look like a classic piece of art, perhaps. But it's not quite the same. It's just printed out of a printer and maybe it doesn't use the right type of canvas. And even if someone's really good at it and they spend time with with actual paints and do it, there's going to be things that are different. Perhaps it's not the same type of ink that would have been around in the 1700s or the same type of canvas. It's going to be different. People try to make copies of cars call them replicas or kit cars. But they're not going to be exactly the same either. If you begin to look at them closely, maybe you'll realize, well, that's just fiberglass, not steel, like it was originally made out of. Or, man, these panels don't quite line up the way that they actually did on the original. People also attempt to copy signatures. Those are called forgeries by the way, like the kid who tries to copy their parent's name down, or maybe it's someone who signs a baseball, Babe Ruth. But those, those aren't quite the same either, and there's ways of figuring out that that's, that's not quite normal. That's not quite the original, right? Aside from trying to sell a print or or having a a forgery uh, being sold as something that was authentic, we have things to try to stop that from happening, right? We have these people that authenticate real paintings, authenticate real signatures. We have things, too, that uh, protect words that are written because we want to honor who wrote them. That's why during sermons, like last week and other sermons, we quote, different people. And we say, this is Dietrich Bonhoeffer's idea. This is Calvin's idea. It's not my own. We have different things that, like uh, um, copywriting for songs that we sing that we need to make sure that the person who wrote things gets credit. Most of the time, we try to prevent copies from happening. Except for when it comes to Jesus. Jesus actually says, no, copy me. Do everything that I do. We have a a couple pieces of scripture that that say this exact thing. John 13, uh, the passage that we're going to look at in a few moments, Jesus said, I have set for you an example that you should do just as I have done. Copy me. Do everything that I have been doing. 
In Matthew 16, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple has to copy him. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and and follow him. Paul also says, well, you can copy Jesus. Do what he does in your relationships with one another. Randy read this passage earlier. Have the same mindset as Christ. Copy Christ. Do what he does, which would be making himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant. Paul even goes on to say, well, you could, instead of if you're not copying Jesus, well, copy me while I copy Jesus. But then, I don't know, I always said, copies aren't as good as the original. I saw this meme and I thought of this. You have Spider-Man, looks real nice. You have Paul, who kind of looks like Spider-Man, and then you got me trying to copy Paul, copying Jesus. Sometimes, as copies of Christ, we don't quite look exactly like him. We don't quite act the way he did. We, We don't quite live up to being called a copy. We don't quite make it there, just like the forged signatures, the prints of the painting, the replicas of cars. We don't quite get there. But that shouldn't stop us from trying. So let's read this passage and see what it is like. How is it that we are actually supposed to copy Christ? Read from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simeon the Iscariot, Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just by a feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. 
When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Over the years, this idea of washing of feet has gained a ceremonial perhaps, application. Years ago, in my own wedding, Emily and I had a spot during our wedding where we washed one another's feet. We, well, we only did one foot because we were saving time, right? Washing feet, a ceremonial thing. Sometimes you see pastors washing the feet of their counsel as a person that hates feet. Now you're learning something about me. You can imagine how, what it was like to even wash my own wife's feet. But sometimes I think this idea of washing feet has lost some of its punch, you could say. We, we think of servant leadership and we think, yeah, yeah, washing feet. Not realizing what Jesus was actually doing. Not realizing that that there was a major thing that was taking place. Washing feet, we think of, well, we're we're a shoed culture. We are a paved road culture, except for, you know, those people that wear Birkenstocks all year round, right? And so our feet maybe don't get dirty and grimy, stepping in the same places that other feet were. And we would think, yeah, the servant leader washing feet. But how would you feel if the person you believe to be, the Messiah, the Son of God, came to your house and said, I'm here to clean your toilets. I'm here to to come into your house and clean those areas that haven't been cleaned in a while, perhaps, those areas where, where the dirt and the the nastiness sticks, and maybe you have a really, really clean house. But that might put it in a little bit different perspective. Because washing feet wasn't something that a leader did to a lesser person. You wouldn't expect the, the Roman emperor to get down from his throne and wash anyone's feet. In reality, When you think of foot washing, they didn't even let Jewish slaves really do foot washing. Foot washing was beneath even Jewish slaves. Foot washing was always or often reserved for the Gentiles. The Gentile people, that's who could wash feet. Not some honorable person. Certainly 
not someone who is in a higher status washing the feet of someone in a lower status. There, there are times where children would wash the feet of a parent or, or, a, or a wife would wash the feet of a husband, but never the other way around. Those were signs of respect, but in actuality, when someone was coming in from the outside, it was a Gentile, the lowest of the low people, as they would say. And here Jesus is, getting down on his knees to wash the disciples' feet. Washing feet was an act of servitude. It was an act of sacrificing of one's self. In the Gospel of Luke, there's a a section of Scripture where the Pharisees fail to wash Jesus' feet. And failing to wash feet is something that's a, a dishonor. And, and, and Jesus kind of points it out. And, and this is an, an act of hostility where you are not washing someone's feet. But Jesus isn't bringing in hostility. Even though for some reason, we don't know why we say it was the disciples were arguing about about feet, or at least that's what the Jesus Storybook Bible says. But someone, no one was washing each other's feet. And so Jesus, not just doing servant leadership, but literally sacrificing of himself. Because here's the thing, if, if someone is in a place of honor and they, they choose to bring themselves into a place of dishonor, they will always be dishonored after that point. If Jesus gets down on his knees to take the place of a servant, to take the place of a Gentile, the lowest of the low, he will always be identified that way in that culture. It won't be something, oh, Jesus is so great, he washed his disciples' feet. It would be kind of like, Kind of like when the Pharisees would say, I don't know how he can hang out with sinners and tax collectors. Well, now it's a step further. I don't know how he, a man of his position, could wash someone's feet. A place of dishonor. And Jesus actually says to them this. Uh, Nope, not that. I don't have it on a slide. He says, you do not realize what I am doing right now. And it's an interesting thing to say as he's washing feet because, well, the disciples probably were thinking, well, you're washing feet. Well, actually, they probably weren't honored by the fact that they were doing that, that Jesus was doing it. They weren't sitting there waiting for Jesus to do that. They weren't expecting him to do that. They didn't want him to do that, just like you probably don't want me coming to your house and washing your toilets. Maybe you do. I don't know. Call me. Um, But it's not something that they expected. It's not something that they were like, well, Jesus will serve me. But he says, you're not going to understand what I'm doing right now. And we have the beauty of knowing what happens after. So this isn't just an act of Jesus getting down and fluffy servant leadership. This is instead a foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice that he's going to make. 
He's taking his position as a Jewish man, a Jewish rabbi, and sacrificing that up, giving that up to become a Gentile foot washer. And he's pointing to the the point in time where he is coming to this earth. He is God coming to this earth, willing to sacrifice of his entire life, taking on a place of dishonor on the cross, which we see as something that's beautiful, but something that there was a dishonor, giving up of his entire life and his entire self to show the love that God has for his people. This is a foreshadowing event, something pointing to something else. That's why Jesus says, unless I wash you, you will have no part in me. We're not talking about feet anymore, are we? We're talking about Jesus' blood as something that is cleansing within our life. Unless he washes you, you will have no part in him. Foot washing as a foreshadowing event to the cross. Something that has so much perhaps greater emphasis and punch to our lives than than even what servant leadership as a concept does. It's a sacrifice. A sacrifice of, of whatever privilege you could call it, whatever place of honor that you have, to take on a place of dishonor just as Christ did. And he calls us to follow that example. He says it again. Nope, not there. Nope, I don't have it on there. That's fine. You shall do. I have set forth for you an example that you should follow. And I think that's the problem. You remember that picture that said copies are never as good as the original, right? Picture of Jesus and then Paul, and then when it gets to me, it looks nothing like Christ. I think that's because sacrifice is actually hard. When you think of servant leadership as sacrifice, sacrifice is, is harder than just you know, going over and shoveling someone's driveway. Or sacrifice is a little harder than me washing your feet or, or cleaning a toilet or, or making a little bit of dinner for someone. Because sacrifice takes something from us. It's a giving up of something, and that's where sacrifice becomes different. Becomes difficult. Because oftentimes we we like our life. We live in a world in a society of of abundance, you could say. We live in a place where where we we value comfort in, in our preferences and in our desires, and that's that selfish thing within us that wants to be first, that wants to have our preferences or wants to have our comforts or wants to do things our way, wants to have our voice heard a little bit more. 
and we get uncomfortable when, when we're supposed to sacrifice of something like that for someone else? Sacrifice. I think we can see the concept of the difficulty of sacrifice in the last year. I don't know about you, but there's a controversy about masks. Do you know that? I don't know if you ever heard about these little pieces of fabric or the the KN95 masks or the, the blue ones that you wear. And if you don't think sacrifice is hard, try getting everybody to wear these. And then you realize how much people value their own opinion than sacrifice. Maybe that's a little too close to home. Where we want our own preferences rather than thinking of sacrificing for the benefit of someone else. Even if you don't think they'd do anything, how hard is it? to breathe a little bit harder and put this thing on. A little too close to home, so we'll get rid of that. Sacrifice for the benefit of others. I wonder how how the church, not ours, but the global church has done with sacrifice for the benefit of others. I assume that if we believe in Christ and we believe in sacrifice and we believe in God's unity together, that that we would be one church. But when we look around, apparently we value preferences more than we value sacrifice. And you don't even have to get out of Grand Rapids to see churches on every single corner that are unable to agree with one another on specific things. Sacrifice for the benefit of others. We value comfort so much that when we feel discomfort, instead of choosing to, to sacrifice or choosing to discuss, we instead choose to leave. Maybe that's a little too close to home. What's my other example? Sacrifice. Sacrifice is hard because it costs us something. It costs us our desires. It costs us our preferences. But it doesn't cost us our life. Because if we follow in the example of Christ, and we have been washed by His blood and we have been cleansed by Him, we have a part of Him experiencing God's love, and He calls us to to give that to others as you sacrifice of yourself, giving God's love to others. You don't even lose anything in the process. I don't lose anything in the process. Even though I sacrifice of myself, God's love and his kingdom begins to abound and grow and multiply. Sacrifice is hard. 
When we talk about servant leadership as a lovely concept, that's when it's easy. But when we, when we turn it into this sacrificing of ourselves for the benefit of others, it gets difficult. And I don't know what it looks like for you. I don't know what the sacrifice looks like for you. I don't know if it's one less Starbucks a day, one less Starbucks a week, so you have time for other people. I don't know if it's sacrificing of your time to be with people. I don't know if it's, if it's making sure you, you have a list of people that you want to check in and, and call and, and sacrificing that way. I, I don't know what it looks like. There's got to be a level of sacrifice in our life somewhere. And I wonder, if we're not willing to give up of things in our own life for the benefit of our church family, how do we ever expect ourselves to sacrifice for the benefit of the community? Sacrifice for the benefit of our city? Sacrifice even on the local level for the benefit of our neighbor down the street. As people who have experienced, understand, and under, uh, under uh, who have understood the sacrifice Christ has make, made on the cross, I encourage you to consider. What sacrifice have you been making recently? What are areas in your life that you can give up of yourself, your desires, your preferences for the benefit of someone else? For the benefit of their salvation to come later on. For the benefit of their growth in Christ currently. For the benefit of their life. But then comes the next step, which is actually even harder than just thinking about it. It's putting on that towel, getting down on your knees, sacrificing of whatever that is to show someone the great, abundant, never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love that God has for his people. Lord, sacrifice is hard. And that's why we need the Spirit in our life. So we pray that you would use your Spirit in our hearts and our minds. Bring to light the areas and the things that we can give up. The things we can give up to to more fully embrace perhaps your love in our life, but, but also the things that we can give up, that we can show others the love that you have given them. Help them understand the deepness of your concern for their life. The abundance of the grace that you have for them. And the significance of what their life would be like with you. Help us to be your servants 
sacrificing of ourselves for the benefit of others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.